A word to the wise, we are an explicit podcast tackling choicy adult themes, as well as entering spoiler territory if you haven't read the short story that we are discussing today. That is Desert Sun by Pierce Brown, a short story within Star Wars from a certain point of view, the 40th anniversary commemorative short story book for the release of Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. And I'm PJ. And we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike. We tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. Think of us as your drunk weekly book club. So we just finished watching a quite climactic scene in Star Wars, and I intentionally stopped it right before the actual climax as a means of blue balls in Crossland. So he's a bit on edge, and I'm not sorry for it. (laughs) You're just going to leave that in there. Oh, my God. Good work. Good work. Yeah, a little bit on edge. Today, in case it's not aware, and PJ already said this in the beginning, but we'll be covering a quick short story episode on Desert Sun by Pierce Brown. It's uh, from a certain perspective, a collection of short stories, and it surrounds a new hope. So if you haven't like watched Star Wars Episode Four at this point, like what are you doing? Yeah. Spoilers, Crossland. Don't so, I fuck guess. it up for people. Like, I've generally got like a six-month window, and then I, I stop caring. <laughs> unless someone very specifically so is like, So 43 you know, years isn't isn't covered in that? Yeah, no. No, at this point, it's definitely been way too long, and I no longer care. 44 years? Almost 44 years. We still put a spoiler warning in the front of the episode, I guess, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And what's, yeah, so uh, something that we'll talk about. Before, you know, before we actually jump into what we're drinking, I kind of want to just mention this is the only other thing that Pierce Brown's written. So it's very exciting. If you haven't read it, it's worth a read. It's like a five dollar Kindle ebook. You can check it out at a number of different libraries for free online as well or, you know, get a physical copy. I understand Disney is an evil overlord. So feel free to uh, do as you wish. Yes. So before we talk about the short story, though, let's talk about what we're drinking. Yeah. So I have another another selection from my cocktail book that I've been using lately. This is called The Godfather, and it is two parts scotch and one part amaretto. And that's it. <laughs> but wow. It's, it's really fucking good, though. The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That sounds tasty. It, it is definitely tasty. I'm really liking it. But to follow that up. And is this your budget-ish scotch? Uh, yeah, that's the only scotch that I had. Okay. okay. Um, I just, just use, I just used the rest of it. So I'll have to pick up another bottle of scotch. Maybe I'll do something a little bit nicer next time. I'm not sure. Haven't decided yet. But the Godfather, once he's done being a Godfather, sometimes he's got to relax and settle down with a sponge bath. So I've got double dry <laughs> hop sponge bath from Blackstack, which is a hazy IPA with uh, Strata, Mosaic, Citra Cryo, and Cashmere Cryo hops. Hmm. Nice. And that's not one of their like co-brews or anything like that? Nope. Just Blackstack. Cool. Yeah. Cool. I think Sounds they, they released Sponge Sponge Bath. Um and they this is the double dry hop version of it. So I am just having straight bullet rye tonight. <laughs> um it's 
it's a shorter episode. I didn't have a whole lot of time to make a cocktail, and I figured, you know what? We'll just uh, we'll just get the fun juice flowing real quick. Yeah, it's a fun juice. plan. And then I'm following that up with Midtown Swank from Wilmington Brewing Company. Super good double dry hopped IPA. We're drinking like the same thing mm-hmm. with Warrior Centennial Mosaic, a little bit of Amarillo and Citra hops. Alrighty, sounds good, good. Except for that, pretty good. Amar- Amarillo. Amarillo. Yeah, Amarillo. You, you don't like the yeah. Amarillo hops. Not not a fan. But mm-hmm. that's just me, and I know it's just me. So. Yeah, I think I think we've talked about this in reference with um, Wilmington Brewing Company before, but they do it better than anyone else does. Like I'm generally totally with you, but they use it in like maybe 50% of their lineup and all of the beers are delicious. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I, I've definitely experienced some beers that that use it well, like Fad from Omni out of Maple mm-hmm. or yeah, out of Maple Grove. They they have Amarillo in the hot bill and that beer is delicious so it's not a (laughs) not a hard and fast rule in my part but i tend to avoid it that makes sense Mm -hmm. we all have our preferences that's okay yes yes we do that's why they make different beers so with that let's uh let's get into the show outline so the short story is very short it is very short i I think it took me longer to watch the scene that it covers than to actually read the short story. And that's saying a lot because I'm a fucking slow reader, as everybody knows. So, yeah, from beginning to end. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff that exists inside of that. Right. Like originally Biggs does show up inside of that first scene. But I, I think that this is super interesting for a couple of reasons. One, the entire premise of from a certain from what what the fuck is it? My brain from no a certain question. point of from view. a certain point of view. I have perspective in the script like twice from a certain point of view. It has it's it's very interesting for two reasons. One, it's the only other currently published writing from Pierce Brown outside of the Red Rising series, which is super interesting. And two. It is from a character that we don't see emphasized at all in any of the Star Wars continuity, which is a part of you know this entire collection. And the point of from a certain point of view is to show different characters perspectives going into certain scenes that we know are viewed through Leia, Luke, Han, etc. Yeah. So, so is this is this book in chronological order by the movie? Yes. OK. Yeah. So it rolls. That makes sense. Chronologically. Yep. So that's why this takes place so close to the end. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it kind of gives you, you know, that that weird, like, on the edge of your seat feeling, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so with that, I think it's fair to go through a base rundown of kind of the plot. So if you were to summarize this, how would you uh, how would you do it, PJ? This is the story of the excitement of our our hero Biggs in seeing his childhood friend join the rebel red fleet that they are teammates on, I guess. And then he dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, you were painting that so positively for how the story goes. <laughs> like, it, it is, it's a blisteringly quick story. Like you said, I think it's like, I don't know, 17 pages it's or something 10. like that. Yeah, 10. Total. Okay. <laughs> 10 pages. <laughs> Which is easily the shortest short story that we've covered on the show. So I think it's interesting to kind of compare and think about the way that the movie shows it versus the way that the story does and talk about some of the choices that Pierce obviously made for the stories. But before we go into that, what'd you think? I could tell that it was written by Pierce Brown. Yeah. I, if you, just the, the way the descriptions of how things are moving and how, especially the space stuff, the, 
the dialogue over the comms and the movement of the ships. Just something about it was it was in his voice and I could tell. And I don't know the best way to describe it, but I think I think if I hadn't known this was Pierce Brown, I would have said something along the lines of this sounds a lot like the Red Rising series. Yeah, it definitely has a really interesting tone um, that kind of goes throughout, right? Biggs is very much describing sort of the world at large as he sees like the green lasers of the TIE fighter race past and eventually like pass through his ship when he's dying right before he explodes. Mm -hmm. And among a number of other things, like the blistering speed or the metal tearing across the the sound and everything else. It's very encompassing. And the the internal description of their emotions between Darrow in the the other series and Biggs in this, how, how they describe how he's feeling throughout things. The last line, the fear is gone and then there's only peace. Yeah, that's that's very red rising that that kind of sounds like a line that like darrow would say when he died no how many which one which time the fear is gone and then there's only no, peace. Which, no i'm <laughs> saying like oh i don't know oh it's, maybe when he dies yeah <laughs> no i i totally agree with you i love especially that last paragraph is actually something that i highlighted going into that with that final line is so pierce brown and i think what's super interesting to ask as a question here is so now that you've seen Pierce Brown's style outside of the Red Rising saga, do you still enjoy Pierce Brown's writing? Like, does it transcend the saga or is it just because you're attached to the characters? Yes, but it, it felt it felt like a strange crossover episode. <laughs> OK, like more on like, that. The characters from the Star Wars universe are suddenly in the red rising universe and it it just seemed off i don't know the best way to describe it 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 seemed like i was watching archer and suddenly he's in the bob's burgers area (laughs) he's like what the fuck's going on here like there, there are definitely similarities and there are definitely like reasons why things work in here because they're both sci-fi and they're both dealing with space battles and like the the content itself is very similar but i couldn't get my mind past that a little bit and maybe it's because i went into it looking for those similarities just subconsciously or or if it was actually a little bit pervasive but i still thought it was good i mean we've been reading stuff in this guy's head now for like 18 weeks so Mm -hmm. you know it makes sense to me that you still have it on the brain and you're kind of picking it apart that way Right. Yeah, no, I I really like the story and I think I'd hit pretty much the same points that you do. I think that it does a great job of reflecting on a very minor character who gets a line at the very beginning of the book or two that's mentioned or not book, excuse me, at the movie where Luke kind of talks about being, you know, interested in going the same route that Biggs did to become a pilot and, you know, kind of the inevitability of that eventually being the thing that Luke gets. And then he also at the same time where he becomes a pilot he meets his friend and then we get to kind of see this this guy that he kind of idolized strangely before mm-hmm. he had obi-wan as his like idol or mentor yeah and i it it also made so what i said in the intro that we watched the uh the scene that this book is or this story is from and it made that scene feel so much more heavy mm-hmm. like i i had never paid attention to biggs ever in the actual like anytime i saw that movie but 
now I had this strange emotional connection to him that I didn't think would happen that quickly in a little 10 page jaunt and this superficial background information that begs kind of fleshes out a little bit more in the short story. It makes that whole scene feel so much more real. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no question. And I think that that's kind of the, the boon that is this short story collection mm-hmm. is that it adds all of those perspective and layers onto the movie. Right. And so you get something that I also hadn't thought about until we literally watched this right beforehand is how good of a job the movie does highlighting and how the story does highlighting how good of a pilot Anakin Vader has become and how like that was obviously built up in the prequels and they showed that it just like brought me back into the Star Wars universe in an interesting and unique way because it started to like open my mind up. And I've been for for the record of everyone listening here. I was a longtime Legends reader. I read the entirety of the Yusong Vong and Trail of the Force saga and everything else inside of that space. Thrawn, of course. And so for me, you know, it was it was super interesting to actually see something that was going back and retreading the movies that wasn't just a novelization of the movies. And I think it added so much more light than a lot of the other stories do. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying. Yeah, it was it was cool to see. And I'm excited to read the rest of this this collection for this reason. How much extra information could be sort of tossed around without actually adding anything that's not canon to the story or nothing consequential at least yeah yeah right they're they're not really adding anything it's just literally i mean i keep going back to it but it's just perspective that they've layered into the story mm-hmm. and that's that's great i i really think that a like biggs has done very well he is kind of i think what's so interesting is that they didn't betray the character and all of the lines that are in the movie are in the book as yeah, well that too and you kind of get the surrounding picture of what's going through biggs's head and watching it again you can actually see that perspective kind of lingering and getting that description is just so cool it's like a, <laughs> you wouldn't think that it's that cool it's also really cool to see the sort of tactile or not tactile strategic movements of the ti- or of the X-Wings mm-hmm. laid out in this book, which clearly he had to go second by second in the movie to actually tell what was going on because it is mm-hmm. so fast and so difficult to really see who's going where and who's saying what and what's actually happening. He made it seem like a very well put together strategy and formation, whereas had I not had that sort of insight from this from the story it it just looks like they're kind of going at it willy-nilly and hoping one person gets through yeah that's that's totally true i mean i think the big thing is how the story ends right where after so at first biggs kind of like abandons on accident and like peels off to go cover for someone else inside mm-hmm. of a different squadron that gets luke into kind of his chase and then you know wedge gets shot in the back ultimate or in the back engine and then like he has to escape And then Biggs ultimately goes up front to take some of the front cannon fire, redirects his shields as it's described, and then he gets blown out from behind. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I thought was really interesting on the watch after hearing the kind of shield thing is for the first time ever, I also heard the Y-Wings say move shields to front or like move power to front deflectors as opposed to remove it from rear deflectors so that they could block the incoming shots when they were making their run. Yeah, it's it's really subtle, really small little lines that 
unless you're really analyzing it, I, I think kind of gets muddled in that scene. Yeah. You know, it's it's tough to say, do we do we give the brilliance of this to George Lucas and team or do we give it to Pierce Brown for piecing it all together for us? I think because I think the the credit has to be shared a little bit because clearly un- unless unless this was entirely him trying to piece together stuff that wasn't meant to be pieced together and he just made it work. I think it, if there was an intended scene that played out like this from George Lucas, it, it was, I mean, I think it could have been done better, but they were working with well, 1970s technology for filming. <laughs> yeah. So right. it's hard to do anything better than that. I, I also kind of want to append to some degree that we aren't actually Star Wars experts and that no, we not would prefer not to be eviscerated on the, uh, on the internet. I don't for, care. Uh, Bring it on. Opinion. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> So, yeah, George Lucas and his vast team of writers and editors that put together this film deserve some credit for absolutely for the story that they produced. But Mm -hmm. Pierce Brown putting it on paper in a way that made the scene make more sense, I think, is no small feat and probably took a lot of watching that scene. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I cannot disagree with you at all. I have to imagine between all people involved. I can you. So trying to reconstruct this scene, I just imagine him cutting it, like creating his own internal fan supercut of all of the stuff that Biggs is in and then just watching it for three hours, like either drunk or stoned and trying to piece it all together. (laughs) And, you know, he's only ending up writing 10 pages, but he's like just sitting there watching it on loop. And it's maybe collectively all the scenes that he's in like 15 minutes because there's a lot of like Vader overlapping stuff in there. So if you just cut it down. Do you think Pierce Brown ever watches A New Hope again? Ooh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's, he's mentioned being a huge Star Wars fan, okay. of course, because that's you know it's clear inside of Red Rising. Well, yeah, he's a, but, a huge fan. I don't know. Dedicating what I assume is probably even more than three hours to to something like this, I, I feel like I'd be a little bit fatigued on the entire movie. You know, that's super interesting. So I have a I have a similar question that lingers with anyone who adapts anything for either like novelization or otherwise. Um, the first example, for some reason, that pops into my head is Jeff Vandermeer, who wrote Annihilation and a number of other books, also wrote a Predator book at one point, the sci-fi movie. Okay. And I have to imagine that he wants to go nowhere near that series after writing a whole book about it. You know, like getting getting paid to do a third party thing just seems like such a different a different beast. It does. I mean, it, it's work. it's essentially fan fiction. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, like it ends up being canon, but yeah. Yeah. But the only difference that's the only difference. Is you're getting paid to do it? Is that you're, you're getting saying? paid to do it and it becomes canon. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean the the same sort of work goes into it. Yeah. That's, I'm guessing that's definitely true. I have I also am not a fan fiction expert expert and I no, know I, those people will eviscerate us. So No, I, I think <laughs> I think regardless of any sort of opinion on the quality of fan fiction or anything else, I think fan fiction is good for writers in general. Oh, absolutely. Because a lot of writers get their start to some form in fan fiction. And so I think it's I think a lot of people do a disrespect of down talking it in general. And I I think that this is also a really great entry point for a lot of people because it's easy for you to it's easier to write something that you kind of have an understanding of or that you're fascinated in. It gets you excited and then you can finish something, you know, because it's it is your dream, your imagination. I mean, think about how you you do some writing on your own 
Yep. I'm guessing there's a lot of sort of backstory that doesn't get into the book itself. Correct. A lot of world building, a lot of character building. Having that done for you and you get to just kind of hone your skills on actually writing mm -hmm. seems to be a great exercise. Yeah, I, I would totally agree. I think that fan fiction is nothing but a boon for aspiring writers. I think especially in the space of something like Star Wars, where you've got such clear, defined voices, right? Mm -hmm. Like Luke, like Leia, like Han. And then you can also step into a weird character like Biggs, who doesn't have a whole lot there, and flesh them out entirely and give this interesting perspective. And, you know, like, I'm, I'm leaning in more into, I think, all, I, I think I'm agreeing with you in the end that it is really just fan fiction, even if you're being paid to write it until they decide to publish it. So, yeah, I, I think I'm with you on that. I didn't try to say it in any sort of disparaging way. I wasn't trying oh, no, to no, no. Be, like down on fan fiction or anything, but it, I had never taken that into consideration of somebody writing a third party story without having created the world themselves. Seems like a, a, a different sort of practice. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that it's actually probably harder to be the one who's getting paid doing it than the person who is fan fiction, just strictly oh, from, from pressure. the perspective of yeah, pressure from fans of course well yeah. and then also from the publisher being like no this is shit like do it again yeah. you're not giving us the loop that we want <laughs> or something like that you know i'm not actually speaking to anything that disney has done or this is do. not the droid uh, i'm looking for yes precisely precisely you are a cog um no no additional commentary on the side of what disney has done in terms of pay and other things like that there are many other podcasts and uh booktubers and otherwise they cover it if you want more information actually i might link a little thing on some of the disney uh disney needs to pay things because they should and i kind of feel i feel a little bit of guilt for covering a disney thing but it's not not the worst thing so mm -hmm. they basically have it's because of pierce brown it's <laughs> maybe it is um and also it's worth mentioning chuck wendig which mm -hmm. i think i mentioned it at the end of the last episode Yep. But he's also featured in this collection. You know, in that other book that I told you about last night called The Warehouse, Rob Hart wrote a short story that's in the next, the sequel to this, which is the Empire Strikes Back version. Okay. Because they've released one of those now. But he's got a short story there, too, which nice. is interesting. It is. Yeah. So a couple more things to talk about, and we can kind of generally ramble on. This This is such an interesting one because there actually is so little physically to talk about outside of the beautiful prose, and it's beautiful prose, so I'm taking a drink because I've said that so many times. <laughs> but um, there, there are great quotes, and it wouldn't be a Pierce Brown read without just a series of incredible quotes. And in all honesty, these 10 pages, everything is written in perfect Brownian prose. Brownian? Like... I don't know. Like, what's the <laughs> what's the proper annotation for giving Pierce Brown way more literary credit than uh, other writers? Not Brownian. Brownian. What what would it be? Maybe Pierce Brownian. Well, but you gotta you gotta like summarize it down. Like, what what's like Aristotle? Aristotelian? Era? What? Or let's let's change let's change gears here. <laughs> what the um, fuck are you talking about? <laughs> no, like when you when you give like a, a whole school of thought, like or, Einsteinian. Yes, yeah, similar, without a doubt. Like that's that's in the range, but there are a bunch of authors that kind of get grouped in. I don't know if Pierce Brown is famous enough. No, to, I know, but I'm giving him way more credit to take. That's the point. The name Brown as his own. That's true. There there is Robert Browning, and I would give it to Robert Browning first. But that's I have one particular bias, but that's it. 
Yeah. Okay. Anyway, we'll move on from that <laughs> right. random tirade. Um, so I, I want to do, I do want to talk about a couple of the quotes though that I liked. You mentioned one of them earlier, but I liked kind of the first meeting between Luke and Biggs as well, where they're finally being reintroduced. I saw his farm boy face, the same that used to smirk at me before a beggar's Canyon, before a run on beggar's Canyon or when he'd waste a womp rat at full pitch. Yeah. And great, great example of like world building in a full fucking sentence. Like, in a full you sentence, so much there. but also without adding anything, mm-hmm. because in that same scene, from Luke's point of view, he talks to Wedge, I think, and says, that's not impossible. I used to I used to um, bullseye uh, womp rats. Womp rats. Yep. In Beggar's Canyon. Yep. Yeah, he is. I think it's Wedge. I it's, think it's, it's Wedge. the pilot that's right next to him. Yeah. So there, there's that. Also, in this book, he he uses the term bullseyeing. Mm-hmm. There's. No added information, but it's so much clearer after reading it. It's really, really fucking cool. I think I'm driving that home maybe a little bit too much. (laughs) No, I think I think it's a big deal because I think that people should seek out this collection in the story. I think it's a a great collection Mm -hmm. of short stories. At the very least, Pierce Brown's and I've read a couple of other ones randomly throughout that I've really liked. One of them is not canon and you would know if you read it, but that's it. All right. In this book? I think the rest is. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think it's called The Way of the Wills is the one that is not canon. The the Willow Way? <laughs> it's similar. <laughs> uh, can't claim that that's, um, that's inspired or anything, but you know, it's, or, it's close. You know, Desert Sun? Yeah. I thought that that was maybe one of the more interesting name choices, right? Uh, for, for the book, considering Golden Sun, Desert Sun, it yeah. just feels very... Uh, it was kind of funny. Very I think apt. I actually laughed out loud when I saw it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's good. I mean, this whole short story is, again, I think we're just continually lathering praise, but rinse, lather, repeat, right? Like the other quote, one of the other quotes that I really liked, we're alone, our squadron gone out of 30 ships, only three of us remain. And the Death Star is drawing around Yavin, your seconds left before it can fire down at the moon and obliterate the rebellion as it obliterated Dalaran. We are the last hope. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> Classic Pierce Brown. Mm-hmm. It's just great. Yeah. Yeah. It was all the description of combat, even though we don't really talk about dogfighting much in the Red Rising series so far. I could tell it translated pretty well to his style of writing combat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's definitely got a similar action pace to it. I think what's interesting to note here, too, to some degree, just is based on publication time. This came out in 2017, meaning it probably wrote it in 2016-ish. And Morningstar came out in 2016. So this is post the original trilogy being over and out and pre the new trilogy being started. So this was kind of released within that drought window. Mm-hmm. Okay. From uh, from his perspective. Don't know if it was a drought writing window, of course. And as we mentioned before, uh, Pierce Brown has been in a number of writers rooms for TVs and has done a number of script edits over time. But Nothing that has his name fully attached, except for a movie that I think he has coming out on February 5th. Don't remember the name. That's his next credit after this one that's not inside of the Red Rising series. Okay, cool. Cool. Cool, cool. cool. One final quote, and then we'll kind of give our wrap-up thoughts here, mm-hmm. which you had kind of mentioned the end part of this quote, but I think that it's a it's a great thing as well here to break down. But beyond the terror, beyond the flaring light of my disintegrating hull, beyond the dark reaches of the Empire and the endless black of space where stars burn like little promises of hope, I feel the wind of Tatooine sweeping across the desert, 
and hear the call of my mother for dinner, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Luke will not miss. The fear is gone, and then there is only peace. It's a good way to end the book, but the story. He dies so violently in the movie. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he, he, clo- he does close his eyes. Like, that is, that is a shot I think that we get, is we do get a shot of him closing his eyes. Yeah, I think you're right. Which I think is this reflection. I think that's every single pilot. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> Just like, ah, I can't do anything. I don't want to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, su- super, super unfortunate. But a, a great story. As, as short as it is, it's worth, I think, in my head, the $5 on Kindle and wherever else that you can find it. I think it's, you know, it might be a little much for 10 bucks if you're only reading the one short, the one short story. But you should read the whole thing. Yeah, I'm I like what I'm really excited to do is read through this entire book and then watch the movie again, because this this experience just one story and one scene was so fucking cool. And before we go into talking about next week, if that is an interest to you, send us an email. We would uh, we would love to hear if you guys think that that's an interesting thing. If you enjoyed this episode, what have you, we could cover more of this as kind of an in-between episode thing as opposed to maybe our next short story episode. Could be we an could- interesting little project. And that's it. Check out the other episode that we published today as well, covering the introduction to Morningstar. It's pretty short. These are meant to be accompanying episodes paired up with this one. What's really funny is that I'm treating this like it's the last episode. We're going to treat the other one like it's the first episode. But really, we started here and we're going there. So it's even funnier as a time loop. Think of us as your uh, weekly Mobius strip. Mm hmm. Come on, that was a better joke than you're giving me credit for. No, it wasn't. Uh, so <laughs> please, as always, refer us to your friends and family and anybody that you think might enjoy us. Word of mouth is by far and away the best way to uh, get our name out there. And we always love hearing that somebody told us about you. So, yeah, or somebody told you about us. That's it. Either way. Either way, (laughs) either way, Uh, the other (laughs) the other part of that, too, is for sure to interact with us on our website. And like we had mentioned, send us an email if you're interested in us breaking down any more of the short stories here. Break down that email address for us, Crossland. Write down. Yes, that email address is words and whiskey show at gmail.com words and whiskey show at gmail.com. You can also find it if you go to our website, words and whiskey dot show either way. Our Twitter handles are also Twitter and Instagram handles are both attached as well. In the show notes, we are at words and whiskey pod or words, whiskey pod, words, whiskey pod, words, whiskey pod, words, whiskey pod. We are always really happy to see any kind of comments or anything like that there um, and have been doing, I think, a better job of interacting on all forms of social media. So send us messages. We love it. And as always, I hope you have a great great day and i love you i love you too